You're listening to the St. John's Diamond Creek Podcast, recorded live each Sunday at St. John's Anglican Church, Diamond Creek. This episode presented by Student Minister Sam Oldland. in the parish here. It's awesome to be with you this evening as we explore this part of God's Word together. Uh, I'm in the final year as a student minister, uh, so I'm training to grow up to be like Kirk and Tim. Uh, And as a final year uh, ministry student training to be a minister, next year is a big unknown for me. Uh, So at at some point, hopefully later this year, uh, I'll be able to line up where I'm working, but until then... Uh, it's a year where there's lots of unknowns. I don't know where I'll be working yet, and it could be anywhere around Melbourne. Uh, and because we don't know where I'll be working, I don't know where we'll be living, that could be anywhere around Melbourne. So Ronnie, my wife, and I, we don't know whether we'll be living close to our families or far away from them. We don't know what it'll mean for Ronnie's work. Uh, there's lots of things that are uncertain. And so I find myself slipping into fear, fear of the unknown, fear of what is going to happen next year. And I find myself doubting God's provision and, and care for us. Even though, even though I've seen God provide for us a thousand times before, I, I still find myself subtly just doubting that God is in control, as if Ronnie and I might slip through the cracks of his attention and care and, and be left high and dry. I wonder if there's things like that that you fear. Maybe... Uh, Your health makes you afraid for the future, maybe unstable employment, maybe a lack of clarity about what your life's going to look like, maybe shaky relationships, broken family. Do you find yourself ever doubting whether God is really guiding you, whether he's really in control of what's ahead? Or, Or if you're here tonight and you don't believe in Jesus, what is it that prevents you from doing so? Is it those same things? Is it fear? Is it doubt? Is it intellectual doubts about this man, Jesus Christ, who supposedly rose from the dead? Or is it fear of what it would mean for your life if you followed him? Well, tonight we're going to meet some people in this part of the Bible, in John chapter 20, who are just like me, just like us. People who struggle with fear and struggle with doubt. And we're going to see how Jesus meets them in their fear, meets them in their doubt, and how he helps them and and transforms their lives. God is showing us in these verses what life looks like when we believe in the risen King, Jesus, and it looks really good. There are two stories there, two transformations that happen through people coming to believe in Jesus. In one story, we see uh, that Jesus takes us, Jesus transforms us from fear to peace and to purpose, from fear to peace and purpose. And in the other story, we see that Jesus transforms from doubt to worship, from fear to peace and purpose, and from doubt to worship. So keep your, your Bible open in front of you there if you've got it. And let's have a look at the first story. So it's late, it's late in the day on Sunday, it's Easter Sunday, the first Easter Sunday. Three days ago, these followers of Jesus had gone through the, the brutal experience of watching their, 
their friend, their leader, their teacher executed in front of them. All the hopes that they'd had for years of his reign as the Messiah, the saviour of their people, those hopes were crushed. And, and yet, Peter and John had gone to the tomb and it was empty. Mary Magdalene was telling the others that she had seen the risen Jesus. Maybe, maybe these guys were starting to remember those times Jesus had told them that he would die and then rise again. Maybe they were starting to remember Jesus saying that he would tear down the temple and rebuild it in three days. Maybe they were just starting to believe that Jesus' death wasn't the end of his story or the end of their story. Maybe. But what they, what they knew, what they did know, was that the Jewish leaders who had had Jesus killed would be out to get them as well. So even though they were just maybe starting to believe something life-changing, what were they doing? They were hiding. Imagine what it must have felt like for these guys. They were, they were confused. They were traumatized. Everything that they thought they knew about their identity and their religion and their, their relationships, it, it had been completely stripped away. It was all up in the air. They didn't know what to believe anymore. I wonder if you've ever felt a bit like that. Have you ever had everything stripped away like that? Had your whole life turned upside down, been left unsure and afraid? Have you ever had the, the person or the values or the goals that were so stable for you suddenly stripped away, suddenly pulled away from you and you're left unsure, you're left fearful? Well, that's, that's how these disciples felt. And then the most wonderful thing happens. It says, though the doors were locked, Jesus appeared among them, miraculously and yet actually physically there with them. And he shows them his hands and he shows them his side, still marked with crucifixion scars. And he calms their fear and their confusion, saying, peace be with you. You might have noticed as we read the passage, Jesus actually says that three times to his friends. Peace be with you. This is how Jesus meets their fear. He's addressing their fear and he's offering them peace with the Hebrew word shalom. It's a greeting that Jews still use today. Maybe you're familiar with that word. And when the risen Jesus here greets his followers with shalom three times, there's, there's a whole new life-changing meaning attached to it. Shalom is this, this beautiful, rich, biblical concept that's kind of hard to capture, hard for us to understand because it's so multifaceted. Shalom is, is everything as it should be, everything made right. So shalom is the opposite of fear and shalom is the opposite of war and shalom is the opposite of brokenness, the opposite of loneliness. To be in a state of shalom is for everything to be the way it should be. Perfect relationship with God and with people, perfect safety, perfect flourishing, perfect happiness. I remember a moment in my life that maybe comes closest in my kind of experience to this, this experience of shalom. I reckon I was about 11, 
uh, and I was on a family holiday, I can't, I can't remember where, but it was a beautiful day, and we were having a picnic lunch by the side of a wide brown river, and we are on this beautiful green lush grass, and there was a big bronze statue next to where we were having our lunch. Uh, and we had good food, and for once in a while, all the kids were getting on well. We were having great conversation, and I can't remember what the conversation was about, but something spurred me to challenge Dad to a race around this statue. So Dad and I raced around the statue while the other kids and Mum watched and laughed, and then they took it in turns to race Dad around as well. In one sense, I guess it's a very unremarkable memory, really, but when I think about this kind of shalom peace that the Bible talks about, I think that's maybe the closest in my own experience that I can identify with that. But even, even a moment like that can't really capture this, this concept, shalom. I think the best picture of shalom is right at the end of the Bible, when every problem has been solved, everything that kept people and God apart has been taken away, every body has been healed, every evil has been defeated. In Revelation 21, it says... I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. That's, that's shalom, peace. That's God with his people in perfect peace and and the risen king jesus comes to his followers and he says to them shalom peace be with you because now it is because jesus has conquered death he has done away with everything that kept people and god apart the curtain that separated god from people in the temple has been torn from top to bottom there is shalom between God and his people. There is right relationship. These disciples, they were, they were hiding, consumed by fear. And what does Jesus do? He meets their fear and he gives them shalom, peace. He transforms them from fear to peace. And Jesus meets their fear not only with peace, but also with purpose. Check out verse 21 in your Bible there. Again, Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Jesus gives his followers purpose. Obviously, there's a bit of a question in those verses about whether we have the power in ourselves to forgive sin. Maybe that piqued your curiosity as you heard it read. In this context here, Jesus is declaring to his disciples that in the same way that God sent him, he's now sending them. In the same way that God's extended forgiveness through Jesus, he's now extending it through Jesus' followers. But of course, God is the only one who can forgive sin. Sin is against God after all. But it's amazing that now God extends that forgiveness through Christians, through us. It's not saying that you or I have the power in and of ourselves to forgive people's sins, but it is saying 
that God amazingly forgives people's sins through us. That's our, our purpose. Jesus gives them, he gives us a purpose. He sends them like God sent him with the power of the Holy Spirit to bring the gospel of forgiveness to people everywhere, to preach the gospel to the world. If you believe in Jesus, he gives you a purpose to bring the gospel of forgiveness to the whole world. When I was a kid, I went to northern Australia to a place called Litchfield National Park and there's these fields and fields like you can see in the picture there of these things that look a little bit like tombstones maybe, right? But actually, they're termite hills. There's thousands and thousands of them. And the amazing thing, the thing that brings people from all around the world to see these termite hills is that every single one of them with the countless billions of termites that have built them, they all point exactly to magnetic north. There's something mysterious in the DNA of these termites that gives them all this same perfectly aligned, unified purpose together. For people who follow Jesus, believing in Jesus points you north, gives you your purpose. Jesus gives purpose and he gives peace. But please, please don't hear me saying that it's easy to follow Jesus. Those termites, they still spend years of toil building those north-facing hills. Following Jesus is costly and, and sometimes it's difficult. Jesus is the suffering Messiah after all. and He calls us to lay down our lives to follow him. Living a life of pointing north to Jesus is a life of self-sacrifice. It's a life of putting others before yourself. It's a life of doing what's right instead of what's easy. It's a life of laying down your life every day to live for God instead. But it's a life of deep shalom that we, we taste now and fully experience for eternity. It's a life that makes a difference. It's a life that honors God and it's the life that you were made for. I've, I've found this to be true in my life. I find so much peace and purpose in, in believing in Jesus, in following Jesus, and I know I wouldn't have that otherwise. Even as I went from high school into uni and I didn't really know what I was going to do, uh, and I transferred courses after a year to train to be a town planner and then decided I didn't want to be a town planner, didn't know what I was going to do, I eventually applied to join the police force right near the end of that process. Uh, I, I changed my plans and listened to God's call and, and became a, a pastor. Uh, through all of those different stages and all of that uncertainty, it was such a comfort for me to know that God had a plan for how he was going to use my life and, and to see how God was using all my different experiences to shape me, to make me more like Jesus. Even through all those different changes of direction, he was using every part of my life to prepare me for what he had in store. And he's still doing that. Every day, Jesus is still transforming me from fear about the future to, to peace in him and to purpose. So if you believe in Jesus, he will transform you from fear to peace and to purpose. And second, if you believe in Jesus, he will transform you from doubt to worship. So picking up the story, it's about a week since Jesus appeared 
to his followers, except Thomas wasn't there. So this poor guy, Thomas, must have been feeling like he has missed out on the biggest you-had-to-be-there moment of all time, right? He's the only one of the disciples who hasn't seen the risen King Jesus. And so he refuses to believe it until he can touch Jesus' wounds and see him with his own eyes. We give Thomas a hard time for this. And look, as the other disciples are telling him about what they've seen, as they're reflecting on the, the scriptures and in the prophecies to Jesus, as they're thinking about Jesus' words, that he would die and rise again, maybe, maybe Thomas should have believed. But for whatever reason, maybe he's naturally a sceptical person, maybe the idea of a resurrected man is just too much for him to accept, without hard proof at least, Thomas just can't get on board. I wonder if that's a bit like you. Do you find it hard to accept that this man rose from the dead and that he really is God like he says he is? All the supernatural and miraculous things that you would have to accept to believe in Jesus, are they just too much? Like Thomas, does it just go too much against everything that you've been taught and built your life on? Maybe even like Thomas, you've been around Jesus' followers for a long time. But when you actually think about it, the idea of the resurrection is a really big issue for you to believe. If so, the good news is that Jesus doesn't judge Thomas. He doesn't condemn Thomas. Of course he doesn't. It's not easy to just flip your entire worldview on its head and believe that a person has risen from the dead. Because that's not what happens. Dead people don't rise. I think we can find some affinity with Thomas's incredulity here. And yet that's what makes the Christian claim of Jesus' resurrection so important and so incredible. Dead people don't rise but we believe there's one who did because he's more than just a person. He's God who's defeated death in his death. And so when Jesus does come after a week, he's gracious and he's patient with Thomas. He meets Thomas in his doubt and he says, here, place your hands on my wound Touch the scars on my hands, see me, and believe. He says, stop doubting and believe. And all of Thomas's doubt and uncertainty is, is swallowed up in wonder and in worship. And he, he cries out, my Lord and my God. Doubting Thomas realizes that in Jesus, he has someone, he has something to live for. Someone to worship. And for me, this is one of the best bits about being a Christian, having someone to rightfully worship. Someone, someone to thank when things go well in my life. Someone to pray to when things are a mess and I need help. Someone who I can trust to provide for me because he's both strong enough and caring enough to do so. And, and a lot of people don't really like the idea of worshipping, I think. Worshipping, it's more than just singing songs to a deity at church or mosque or temple. Worshipping is, is acknowledging someone or something as central to your life, powerful in your life, 
orienting your life around pleasing and serving that person, putting them before yourself. I think maybe people are hesitant about worshipping because they don't want to feel disempowered by worshipping someone else or afraid of worshipping someone who isn't even there or doesn't care about them. But really, we all worship. It's just a question of what or who. The late Pulitzer Prize-winning American author David Foster Wallace, he puts it like this. He says, Here's something else that's weird but true. In the day-to-day life, into the day-to-day trenches of adult life, there is actually no such thing as atheism. There is no such thing as not worshipping. Everybody worships. The only choice we get is what to worship. And the compelling reason for maybe choosing some sort of God or spiritual type thing to worship is that pretty much anything else you worship will eat you alive. If you worship money and things, if they are where you tap real meaning in life, then you will never have enough, never feel you have enough. It's the truth. Even, even if we doubt whether we could worship Jesus, I think we all worship something. We all live for something, whether it's money or security or our family, whatever. I think maybe choosing to worship Jesus is a bit like a, a bungee jump or a skydive. Even if people have gone before you and they assure you that it's okay, that the bungee cord or the parachute will catch you, it's hard to put your entire life on the end of that cord, isn't it? That feels like a big risk. You completely give up control. If that cord doesn't catch you, the cost is very high. And so you you stand there looking over the edge and a battle rages in your head between trust and doubt. And if you believe in Jesus, if you, like Thomas, call him my Lord and my God, that's, that's a high jump. There's a lot on the line. But maybe, unlike a bungee jump, there's so much to gain. If you take the jump and believe in Jesus, he will transform you from doubt, from uncertainty, to worship. That might be a long process. There might be deep questions about faith, about life that you have in your heart for years, for decades. But God will be doing that work in your heart to deepen your understanding, to deepen your love, to deepen your trust to deepen your worship of him. So we've seen Jesus transform fear to peace and purpose. We've seen Jesus transform doubt to worship. And we see Jesus' final transformation in this part of the Bible. Believing in Jesus brings transformation from death to life. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. That is the number one thing that John wants everyone to understand from his book. He wants people reading this to know that believing in Jesus brings life in his name. And ultimately, deep down, that is the difference that it makes to believe in Jesus. If 
you believe in Jesus, he will take you from death to life. Without the risen Jesus, each one of us is physically alive, but spiritually we're dead in our, our sin, which is the ways we live for ourselves instead of for God. The ways we rebel against God's plan for us by living for our own desires instead of his, following the ways of the world instead of his ways. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in our sin. We're saved by his grace. It's God's great gift to us, giving us life when we deserve death. He gives us life to the full, the kind of life you can only live when you're living for something or someone bigger than yourself. And he gives us eternal life, life forever with him, a life of perfect shalom with God and all his people. There is no greater gift. There is no greater transformation. And it comes only from believing in Jesus. So if, if you're here and you don't believe in the risen Jesus, that's what it would look like to do so. I, I understand that it's hard to deal with the fear of what it would mean to believe in Jesus. It would turn your life upside down. Some people that you love might not like it. I can tell you from what God says in the Bible and what he's done in my own life, believing in Jesus brings peace with God and brings purpose in life that nothing else can compare to. And I get, I get that it's hard to deal with doubt. It's hard to believe that a man rose from the dead and is the king of the world when sometimes it doesn't look like it around us. But Jesus, he meets us in our doubt and he helps us and he transforms our hearts to worship him and live for him. That's what it would look like to have life in the name of Jesus. And if you are a Christian, Jesus is still doing this transforming work in your heart every moment, every day. He's still transforming you from fear to peace and purpose. He's still transforming you from doubt to worship. He's still transforming you from death to life. And he's, he's doing that work in my heart. As I think about the future next year and whatever it holds, and I'm tempted to fear, I'm tempted to doubt his care for me, I can, I can see him, I can feel him changing my heart bit by bit. As I read God's word and he promises that he will carry on to completion the good work that he's begun in me, that my life is shielded by God's power until he comes again. He, he's transforming me from fear to peace. As God calls me to trust him and he presents me with situations and, and circumstances where I have the choice to live for him or myself, even though I still sometimes make the wrong call, the Holy Spirit is transforming me, is changing me refining me in the purpose that God has given me. And as I, I pray and God answers, as I see his goodness to me more and more and more through his people, through different circumstances, through different situations, he's transforming me from doubt to worship. He's building my confidence that he's cared for me in a thousand ways until now. He'll care for me in a thousand more. So when you face fear, or when you face doubt, when it's hard to trust that God is in control, that he cares for you, 
Know that believing in the risen Jesus means life in his name. It means that God is transforming you from fear to peace and purpose. He's transforming you from doubt to worship. He's transforming you from death to life. Let's thank God for that work that he's doing in us. Risen King Jesus, thank you that you transform us, you take us from death to life. Please do that for all of us. We pray, Lord, that you would help us to trust you and to know your care for us when we're tempted to fear or to doubt you. We pray that you would transform us more and more to have life in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thanks for joining us. If you've got any questions about this podcast, connect with us on our website, stjohnsdc.org.au or at facebook.com slash stjohnsdc. Don't forget, you can join us live in Diamond Creek every Sunday at 9.30am and 6pm.